this morning at 8 30 the staff we were in a actually it was about eight o'clock in a huddle we do our staff huddle at 805 on Sunday mornings just to talk about any last minute changes and we were gathered up in my office and it was just pouring down rain I mean just if it was raining cats and dogs anybody ever seen it rain cats and dogs I know what I'm talking about I ain't sure exactly where that came from it's just one of those southern colloquial terms that just doesn't make a whole lot of sense you know but anyway it was raining cats and dogs you know what I'm saying and we were just kind of looking at one another like nobody's gonna show up today nobody's gonna be here today nobody's gonna be here today you know we were talking about the rain and so many times Mike the rain outside controls the atmosphere on the inside it just seems like if it's gloomy outside it's gloomy inside and the more that I became concerned about who was gonna show up I became aware that I need to be more concerned about the spirit of the Lord raining down in this place <laughs> I need to be concerned about the rain of its presence because the rain of its presence brings a hope when we feel hopeless the rain of its presence brings a joy when we need joy Joy, the rain of its presence brings forgiveness. Good God Almighty, I need somebody to help me. If you want to experience the rain of his presence, then somebody in the house just break out into a praise. Lift up your hearts, lift up your voices because he's worthy. Come on. Your hands all over the building. Father, we praise you in this place today. Have your way in this place today. Holy Spirit, you are welcome in this place today. Father, we need your presence. We need your touch. We need your outpouring. We need your moving. We need your 
restoration, your renewal, your rest, your strength, your mercy, your grace. For Lord, we've gathered in this place today. I know, I know that I know that some are in this place today and at wit's end, at the end of their ropes, not sure what to do, not sure how to do it, not sure where to go, not sure when. But God, you're a a God who knows our every need. You're a God who knows the plan that you have for us. You're a God who will make a way where there seems to be no way. something with you this morning can I share something with you not intended to be a part of the message but the first service I felt the leading of the Lord and I want to do the same thing right here listen let me just say this I'm excited about the word that God has for us today I'm excited about the word I'm excited about the word that God has for us today because I believe it's a it's a a breakthrough kind of word. Anybody in here ever needed a breakthrough? Anybody in here right now, you need a breakthrough. Anybody in here, you ever, you've ever been through something that you didn't feel like you could overcome or get out of and you needed God to show up in the moment? Good Lord, have mercy. After all, his word says that his word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. His word says, trust in the Lord always. And again, I, I listen, his word says to trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not upon your own understanding, but in all of your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight Mike that means that he has the breakthrough ability he has the breakout ability he's the God that offers breakthrough it's his word that gives to us breakthrough somebody's about to get a breakthrough up in the house today look at your neighbor and say you're about to get a breakthrough look at another neighbor and say you're about to break out I gotta show you something I gotta show you something I got to show you something. Isaiah, 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 Isaiah. 
I got, I got to read you this because I believe it goes with where we're going. But I also believe it's where the Lord is leading me in this moment. Are, are you with me? Here's what the prophet Isaiah writes. Actually, his pen is writing what God has spoken to him. And God says this in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 19. See, everybody say see. I am doing a new thing. God calls for the nation of Israel to actually view, have a vision of what God is about to do. He says, I'm doing a new thing. Anybody in here want a new thing? Anybody in here tired of hanging out in the old thing? Anybody in here overwhelmed with the old thing and you wish the old thing would be turned into a new thing? Anybody else ready for the next chapter that God has for your life? Come on, somebody. Anybody overwhelmed by the emotional stress, the financial instability, and you need God to do a new thing up in your life? Good God Almighty. Somebody say, I'm ready. And it says this, now, everybody say now. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? That's key. I am making a way in the wilderness and streams appear in the wasteland. He said, see, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? In other words, Eddie, there is a prerequisite to seeing what God is about to do in your life. Why? Because it says, see, I'm about to do a new thing. Do you not perceive it? In other words, you have to, in order to perceive something, let me just say it this way, you have to have the ability to see it. You've got to have the ability to see. He says it twice. See, I am doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? What is it that keeps us from perceiving the new thing? Can I tell you what it is? Anybody want to know what it is? The thing that keeps you from seeing the new thing is you growing complacent in an old thing. The thing that keeps you from walking into what God is about to do is you holding on to what God used to do. Good Lord have mercy. The thing that is keeping you from walking into the next chapter is you taking up complacency in the last chapter. The thing that is keeping you from experiencing the breakthrough that God has for you is that you've lost the faith to believe that he can do what it is that you need him to do. Good God am I. See, I'm about to do a new thing. Somebody today is going to get a breakthrough. Somebody say breakthrough. You're about to get a breakout. Let me just say this. I'm excited about God's word. But as excited as I am about God's word, I am also equally challenged with God's word today. By God's word today. Because let me say something to you. Sometimes we need... Sometimes we need to hear a word that's going to encourage us. But sometimes we need to hear a word that gives us a swift kick in the seat of the pants. Four of y'all are excited about the swift kick in the seat of the pants. Sometimes we've got to hear a word that, you know, it's okay sometimes, Maria, to hear a word that tickles your ears. But sometimes you got to have a word that just grabs your heart and begins to tell you, listen, there's something more that God wants to do in your life. In fact, even Jesus said it this way in Mark chapter 8. This is not the text. This is not the narrative. Just hang with me. I know you want to be seated. You probably are like, we've been standing up a long time. That's okay. My man over here beat the devil out of the drums. He had to get down beneath the drums. Y'all need to give us a little time. Y'all know what I'm talking about? 
<laughs> but in Mark chapter 8, Jesus says something. In Mark chapter 8, verse 34, Mark chapter 8, put it up for me. Mark chapter 8, verse 34. Jesus is, is building up his followers. Somebody say build. Build is the theme for Epicenter Church for 2020. If you don't have your bracelet, you need to get your bracelet. Just stop by Connections on the way out. Somebody look at a neighbor and say, I am a builder. Look at another neighbor and say, and you're a builder. Here's Jesus building up the followers, his followers. And he begins to talk to them about what their faith is supposed to look like. And he says this, he says, then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples. And he said, whoever wants to be my disciples must deny themselves. Must, what? Somebody say deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. This is not necessarily a verse that is popular in our culture today. Our culture does not like to deny themselves. Our culture, everyone in our culture wants to be first and not last, wants to win and not lose, wants to be recognized rather than sit on the shelf somewhere. He says, you must deny yourself. In today's culture, you know, we, we want to, you know, and I don't, I'm, I'm sure they said in the first service, we still have this white out. We want to take white out and kind of get that out of our Bible. God, we just, we want to have, it's like Burger King, have it my way now. You know what I'm saying? He said, whoever wants to be my disciples must deny themselves. The thing that he's saying right there, Mike, is that there has to be sacrifice in your faith journey. You got to be willing to sacrifice. But there's something else in this verse that absolutely intrigues me. It's the very first word. He says, then, then. Meaning that what he is about to say is directly connected to what he's previously done. Then. I don't have time to go in with you on everything that he did in chapter 8. But if you look at chapter 8, you will see that there were various miracles in chapter 8. You will see where he fed the 4,000. You will see where he, he, he healed the blind dude. You will see where people are coming to Christ. And what Jesus is saying is everything that you've just seen and experienced has everything to do with my willingness to sacrifice and serve. Everything that you've seen, everything that you've heard up until this moment is going to be required of you. And in that requirement, you've got to understand that you have a part to play in the process. That's what he's saying to them. It's not about just being a partaker. It's also about being a participant. It's not about just receiving. It's also about a responsibility that we have to, to follow and to live for Christ in servanthood. I wrote this down this morning. Here's what you need. L let me say it this way. You can't walk into what's next if you're not willing to participate in what's next. You can't walk into what's next if you're not willing to participate in what's next. You can't walk into something new if you're not willing to have the responsibility that comes with new. You can't walk into what's new if all you want is the same responsibility you had in something old. The reason why that became old to you is because you no longer begin to fulfill the process or, or, or the calling that God placed upon you, and therefore it became old. 
Now, hear me out. I'm not saying that God doesn't move you from one season to the next by allowing something to become old. He does do that, but that's not where we're going today. I need you to hang here with me for a moment. You cannot be a builder without being involved in the building process. All of that, when I begin to think about this concept, there is one passage of Scripture that, to me, illustrates better than any other pas passage what I'm trying to articulate today. It's 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 1 through 13. Oh yeah, somebody's with me. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 1 through 13. More people are with me. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verses 1 through 13. Here is this passage of Scripture, and I'm going to let you be seated on this. Just hang on, just hang on. Here's this passage of scripture where God is moving the nation of Israel from what was to what is. He's moving from Saul to, 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 to King David. And he's using Samuel as a servant in order to transition that, that period of time. I want to show you something. Are you ready? Be seated. Look at your neighbor first and say, you're a builder. So here, I want to read a few verses to you. I want to show you what was required of Samuel so that we can have a better understanding of what's required of us, especially when it comes to the passage of Scripture where Jesus says, you must deny yourself if you want to be my disciple and you must follow me. It's, it's this intonation, if you will, of, of, of sacrifice and of servanthood. But here's what happens in 1 Samuel chapter 16, beginning in verse 1. It says, the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul? since I have rejected him as king over Israel. Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be the king. Somebody say, to be the king. We know, because we're reading this in retrospect, that that son would be David, but understand something as we read along. But Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about me going, he will kill me, the Lord said. Then take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one that I indicate. I love that. He says, I will show you what to do. I will show you what to do. What you need to understand and what God is saying to Samuel, he's saying that you will see what I'm about to do. In other words, in order to be shown something, you have to have the ability to see something. What he's talking about here is vision, Mike. He's talking about the vision for the nation of Israel. He said, I'm about to show you what my vision is for the nation of, of Israel. I want to give you a definition of vision that we're going to use this morning that I want you to just hang on to. Here's the definition. Vision is your ability to see what God says in spite of what you're experiencing. I need you to hold on to that because Samuel was experiencing some fear in this situation. It's your ability to see what God says in spite of what you are experiencing. But then there's a secondary definition to vision that I need you to grab hold of, and that is this. Vision is always in motion. Vision is always in 
movement. It's in constant movement. It's ever-growing. That is the way the kingdom of God works. He begins to walk you into something. You're planted in that something. You begin to bloom in that something, and then you go through seasons in that something. Some of those seasons feel good. Some of those seasons feel bad. But there's a reason for every season. And we're not talking about Christmas. But it's the next few verses that I want to pay attention to. Let me pick it up in verse 4. Verse 4 says this, Samuel did exactly what the Lord said. Somebody say, Samuel did. He did what the Lord said when he arrived at Bethlehem. The elders of the town trembled when they met him. They asked, do you come in peace? They knew who he was, whom he represented. They knew that he was also the one who had been with Saul and working under Saul's leadership. And he said, yes, in peace, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. But Samuel was the one who was listening to God. And so he said, consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and he invited them to the sacrifice. What is about to happen is the king choosing party. So he tells Jesse, I want you to go and grab all of your sons. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab, and he thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands right here before the Lord. He was getting excited. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things that people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called his next son, Abinadab, and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shema pass by. But Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. Verse 11 is where we get our title from. I've done a lot of work to get here. So he asked Jesse, are these all of the sons that you have? And Jesse said, there's another one. There is still the youngest. He's tending sheep. Samuel said, send for him, for we will not sit down until he arrives. Hang on a second. So when he asked Jesse after seven sons passed in front of him, here is Samuel going to Jesse's house, asking Jesse to come to the sacrifice, knowing that God had placed within Samuel's heart that he's going to be anointing one of Jesse's sons. And seven of Jesse's sons parade in front of Samuel, and God says, none of these are the one. You know at this moment that Samuel is scratching his head. He's trying to figure this thing out. He's like, God, you said that it was going to be one of his sons. And he looks over at Jesse and he says, hold on a second. Do, do you have any more sons? And Jesse's like, yes, there's another. What Samuel didn't know and he did not understand is what God knew and understood. What Samuel didn't see is what God already had sown into, into existence. What Samuel didn't know is what God already knew. What Samuel didn't know is there was another one. Even though seven had paraded in front of Samuel and not a one of those were the ones that, that was, was the one that, that God would choose, Samuel, Samuel didn't understand everything. He's wondering why, he's wondering what, he's God, you told me to come this way and there's not a one of these. What Samuel didn't know is God had another move. 
I need you to look at your neighbor and announce to them the title of today's message. There's another move. Look at somebody else and say, there's another move. Look at your neighbor and say, there's another move God has for you. I don't know if you've ever been in a place where you couldn't figure things out, but then came God and there was another move. I don't know if you've ever had your back against the wall and wondering when God was going to show up, but there was another move. Peter one time was walking on water and everything was good, but then he began to drown and Jesus reached out because there was another move. There was the enemy who thought that he had defeated Jesus Christ when he placed him in a tomb, but God had another move are you with me today there were seven sons who walked in front of samuel it was not one of those there was another move somebody say there's another move i don't know who this is for today but i believe specifically that there's another move on the horizon for you but i want to show you something i need to show you something because It's verse 11 that becomes our foundation, but it's verse 1 that sets the course for us today. Verse 1 says this. I need you to hang here with me. Thanks, Sam. I appreciate you playing, but you can go. (laughs) Verse 1 says, the Lord said to Samuel, I need you to grab this. This verse will show you the emotional trauma, the difficulty the situation and how it was playing out in Samuel's life. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul? Since I have rejected him as king over Israel, fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be king. It's, it's the first sentence. It's the first part of this verse how long will you mourn for Saul there's a dynamic that is happening here God is transitioning the nation of Israel from King Saul's leadership to King David's leadership the bridge if you will is Samuel's willingness to serve the bridge if you will is Samuel's willingness to sacrifice the bridge if you will is Samuel's willingness to go am I not sending you fill your horn with oil and go but it's that very first sentence when he says how long will you mourn Saul here is Samuel mourning over Saul and then it hit me what God was saying to Samuel is how long will you have an emotional attachment to something that I'm done with what he was saying to Samuel is how long will you have an emotional attachment to a season that I'm trying to move you out of and into something new How long? Let me just say this to you for a moment. I'm going to be all over the place today because this message has evolved and changed. Probably 50% of what I thought I was going to do is all that I've done because God is just continuing to give me things for you to hear. But I'm sitting here thinking about this narrative. How long will you mourn over this? And it's our attachment to a season Sometimes the season that we're attached to is a good season. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Sometimes it's a season where you're like, oh, man, it's been great. And you want that season to be repeated in your life over and over and over. And listen, God is good at that. 
But sometimes the season that we're mourning over is not a good season, it's a bad season. Well, let me say it this way. Sometimes the season that we are attached to is not a good season, it's a bad season. And in that season, we develop some personal behavior patterns that are keeping us from moving into the new season that God is talking about. Let me illustrate that for you. It's, it's like three years ago, we had this thing started called COVID. And, 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 and those that were in the position of influence said that you don't need to social gather. Now, whether or not that's your political view, that's not what I'm talking about. I just want you to stay here with me for a moment. So we didn't social gather. We didn't social gather, and therefore we changed some patterns and behaviors, and we were wondering when we were going to get back to the old pattern and behavior. And the problem is some of the patterns and behaviors that we've created and that we're living by because of COVID, we're continuing to live by because of COVID. And there are many people not not just in this church, but all over the country that have not gone back to church because they're still living in an old pattern. Mm. And then there's this other thought that churches are so, so good at, and it's not necessarily a good trait, and that is that we're constantly celebrating victories of yesteryear that we forget to climb the mountains that God wants us to climb today. Don't shout me down when I'm preaching good. I'm just saying So we get so wrapped up and, you know, he, Samuel, how long will you mourn? How long will you continue to talk about what was? Because as long as you're talking about what was, I can't fill your spirit with what I'm trying to do. As long as you're talking about where you've been, you're going to miss out on where I'm taking you in the moment. And Samuel, what you need to understand is that latter is better than the former. So what does he say to Samuel? He says, so fill your horn with oil and go. There is something about that portion of, of that passage of Scripture that intrigues me. So fill your horn with oil and go. What is his horn? His horn is, is the thing that holds the oil. The oil is something that represents the presence or the spirit of God. The oil was something that Samuel would do. He would pour the oil out on those who needed to be anointed, and that would signify that God was with him. What he's telling Samuel is you're still trying to pour oil out where oil doesn't need to be poured out, and you're wondering why things are continuing to happen the way they're happening. Mm. Whew, hold on a second because it gets, it gets better. So, so I wrote this down. This is not in your notes, so, so grab this. The anointing, God was saying, the anointing that I will pour out is not for you to stay put in complacency. The anointing is on your willingness to go and act where I am sending you. Oh, think about that. For some of you who are on a job that you feel like is a dead-end job, have you still been living the way Christ would have you live and expose the goodness of Christ in a job that you feel like is dead end, a dead-end job? Because can I tell you something? More people will come to a saving knowledge of who Jesus Christ is by how you handle the adversity on the job than by how you celebrate the pay rates that you just got. Y'all sure y'all want to hear this today? Somebody say, hey man, I'm ready. He said, fill your horn with oil. For I am sending you. The personal application is this. You need to understand that God was not only sending Samuel. Maybe God was only sending Samuel to go and anoint David. And that's not what he's asking you to do is to find the next king. But what he is asking you to do is to serve. 
He's asking you to find a place and serve. He's asking you to be involved in the local body. He's asking you to serve when you're at work. He's asking you to serve in your neighborhood. He's asking you to show the love of Christ because he even says it this way. He says, if you want to be my follower, you've got to deny yourself. You've got to take up your cross and you've got to follow me. But here's the deal. Here's what you need to understand. He was, God was not telling Samuel to serve as a host. It was a lot deeper than that. He was not telling Samuel to serve in in infant care. It It was deeper than that. In fact, Samuel said this in verse two, how can I go? God, how, how, how can I go? Because if Saul hears about this, he's gonna kill me. Think about that. For us, serving comes down to one question, really two, whether we feel like it or whether we have time for it. For Saul, it came, or from Samuel, it came down to a life or death situation. He said, how can I go if Saul hears about it? He'll kill me. The Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Let me read the next couple of verses, put them up. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one who will be the king. Samuel did exactly what the Lord said. Hold on a second. Samuel did what the Lord said. I need you to grab that. Samuel did what the Lord said. Here's what's unique to me. He tells him to go and grab a heifer. Now, I'm not going to make a play on words in our culture today. Okay? Grab a heifer and go and sacrifice. Make a sacrifice. Now, let me help you understand something. Sacrifice looked a little differently for Samuel than it does for us. None of us grab a heifer and offer a sacrifice. But we are to sacrifice our time. We are to sacrifice in an offering. We are to to sacrifice in in serving in in his kingdom. And Sacrifice should be something that Christ says, deny yourself, be a part of what I'm I'm doing. So I, I need you to hear this. The value, grab this, the value that you place on your relationship with God is measured by your willingness to sacrifice. Let that sink in. Somebody say sink in. The value that you place on your relationship with God is measured by your willingness to sacrifice. In other words, you cannot say how valuable God is to you, but yet you ignore the needs in the body of Christ. You cannot say how valuable God is to you, but yet you ignore the opportunities that God gives you to glorify him. Even in the small things, when you know somebody just needs an encouraging word, when you know someone just just needs a hug, when you know someone just needs to be invited to church, when you know someone just is struggling with something and and you have the ability to, to, to bless them. There are many theologians that offer conjecture over Samuel coming to God saying, listen, he's going to kill me. And, and, and God says to him, well, just get a sacrifice ready. There's a lot of conjecture. Why did God tell him to, to, to offer up a sacrifice? He had just told him, he's probably going to kill me. He said, just offer a sacrifice. And then the Holy Spirit dropped this in my lap. I think what God was doing was prompting Samuel to remember one key spiritual principle that sacrifice is required in your faith journey. 
Sacrifice is required in your faith journey. So he said, he said I want you to just offer up a, a sacrifice. I, 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 want you just to, I want you to offer a sacrifice. I want you to go fill your horn with oil. And am I not sending you? You see, the barometer as to which measures your, your value that you've placed upon God is your willingness to sacrifice. You see, if you want more of God's word in your life, you've got to be willing to sacrifice some time in order to get into God's word. If you want more of God's presence in your life, you've got to be willing to offer up a sacrifice of praise in order to get into his presence. If you want the next chapter to open up in your life, you've got to be willing to have the responsibility that comes with the next chapter. Is anybody with me up in here? So he says, Fill up your horn with oil. Fill up your horn with oil. I just wonder if we need to, it really comes down to the oil. It really comes down to the anointing. I, I want you to hang here with me for a second. I wonder if we need to stop looking for God to pour out his anointing if we're not willing to go where he's anointing us to serve. That's tough because it's so easy for us to just want to receive from God that we forget that there's an equal responsibility to receive from God. He's saying, fill your horn with oil because he's sending him to a place that he's going to pour this oil out. He's sending him to a place. The anointing that God has for your, for your life is not to stay in a place of stagnancy. It's to go to a place that God can, can be glorified in the sending that he has for you. How else can I say this? How else can I simplify this? Let me simplify it this way. Because I think some of you are questioning the oil in your life. Like, it's God with me. It's God, it's God going ahead of me. It's, it's God preparing the way for me. It's God. Listen, let me just say this. Nothing is wrong with the oil in your jar. You just haven't been pouring it out in the places that he's sending you. Grab that. Nothing is wrong with the oil that's in your jar. You just haven't been pouring it out in the place that he's sending you. So he sends him to Jesse's house, and in verse 6, watch this, verse 6. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab, and he thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here. Eliab come walking into the room. I mean, you know, just, just doing the strut. Just, Samuel was like, oh, oh. Yeah, and he grabs the horn of oil, and he's, just, he's about to give him a Crisco bath. He's about to pour it all over him. And God says, whoa, 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 whoa. He's not the one. Everybody else looks at the outward appearance, but I, I'm looking at the heart. He's not the one. And, 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 you know, Samuel comes back and he puts the cap, he puts the lid on the horn of oil, you know, and Eliab is kind of like, hold on a second, man. Let me walk through again because didn't you see? The Bible talks about he's fine in appearance. He's He's head and shoulders above everyone else, which, hold on a second, when you begin to do some research, you find out that's exactly the way Saul looked. So when Samuel sees Eliab, his mind goes to Saul. When Samuel sees 
Eliab, his mind goes to an old thing when God's trying to do a new thing. Hold on a second. In other words, he's connected to the past. He sees Eliab and he begins to think of Saul in that moment. He's thinking, this has to be, this has to be the one. This has to be the one that, that God is, is anointing. And, and he's thinking, hold on a second. It, it's, it's his personal preference. He's thinking, well, hold, he, he, that, he looks just like Saul looks, so this has to be the one. And then the more that I thought about that, I thought that's how we operate a lot of times. We operate based upon our personal preference, and then we want to give it to God, and we want to say, bless it. Pour out your anointing on it. But Samuel was missing something. Samuel was allowing his attachment to the past to mess up his discernment for the future. Whoo, grab it. He was allowing his attachment to the past to mess up his discernment for the future. So Jesse, Jesse said, okay, well, look at the next few verses. Well, okay, well, if Eliab's not the one, then Jesse called Abinadab. And Abinadab comes strolling up in the house. You know, he's like, yeah, what's up? You know what I'm saying? What's up? And Abinadab comes and he passes in front of Samuel, but Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse said, all right, Shema, come on in. Pass by Samuel. Just walking by, doing the strut. Nor has the Lord chosen this one. All right, the next one, come on. Seven of his sons passed before Samuel. But Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen these. I, I don't know what they did when they were at this king-choosing party. What I, what I do know is that seven of them were there. Seven of his sons. I don't know if Eliab came in and he was like, you know, he was this mighty warrior and he takes his sword out and he starts doing all this stuff with his sword, you know what I'm saying? Like, let me show you what I can do, flipping it up in there and catching it. I, I don't know if Abinadab came in, he was juggling like, you know, balls and stuff. Th throw me something, throw me something. Watch what I can do. Throw it, I'm going to show you. I, I don't know. I don't know what it was like. I don't know how they were trying to get Samuel's attention. But you know as well as I do, if it's, there's a possibility of you being the future king, you're going to pour it all out. You know what I'm saying? You're gonna, I'm just going to show you what I can do. I, I, Shema probably broke across the stage and did a moonwalk. I, I, I don't know. I would, but I want to show you all, you know. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know exactly what was happening there. But what I do know is that Something, something else happened. So he asked Jesse, he turned to Jesse, he said, are these all of your sons? Are these all of them? And Jesse said, they're still the youngest. There's another. There's eight. He's tending sheep. We didn't invite him to the party because he's out tending sheep. You hear what I'm saying? He's tending sheep. Jesse articulated the fact that he was tending sheep. There's a reason why he did that. In other words, this is really all we think that he's able to do. He's out tending sheep. He's the youngest. Can I show you Eliab again? There is another. Seven of his sons had walked by, but there was an eight. Somebody in this place today, you need to understand you're the eighth. You're the eighth. 
And if you're really looking at biblical numerology, you'll find out that the number eight in the Bible represents new beginnings. And he said, send for it. Send for it. But there's something in this verse that I need you to understand. It says, verse 11, he says, are those all of your sons? No, 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 there's still another. He's tending the sheep. What is he doing? What is David doing? David is serving. (laughs) Y'all still not catching what I'm throwing. You let it just jump right over your head a few minutes ago. Go back to verse 7. Let me show you something. David is serving. Everybody say serving. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance. Remember when Eliab walked in and, you know, he was like, you know, fine in appearance and he's, you know, thinks he's the one, he's the mighty warrior, he's the, he's the chosen one. But yet, you know, God says he's not the one. He said the reason why he's not the one is because I look at things of the heart, but the Lord looks at the heart. Hold on a second. Go back to verse, was it verse 11? Go back to that verse. They're still the youngest. He's tending the sheep. He's serving. Are you grabbing this? God looks at the heart. And what God is choosing and what God shows us that he chooses and what Jesus illustrates for us in Mark chapter 8 is that the heart condition that God is looking for is that of a servant. <laughs> Lord have mercy. That's good. Sam, that's good right there. That's good. Uh, listen, get, Give me some love, Sam. That's good right there. You know what I'm saying? That's that's good. But yet his brothers didn't even think he was worthy to be there. They did not even invite him to the party. Sam, I've changed this service from last service, so you're going to be there a while, okay? I know everybody else in here just got concerned. A while, a while. They did not invite him to the party. In other words, they felt like he was inadequate. Ronnie, his own family, said he was inadequate and could not come and be invited to the king-choosing party. You know, sometimes people have a way of making you feel inadequate. Sometimes people will just put labels on you and tell you that you're not good enough and that you're not worthy and that you're not able and that that's who you are and that's who you've always been and that's who your dad was and that's who your mom was and they'll begin to place those labels on you and just begin to remind you of every broken thing in your life. But can I tell you something? You need to just go ahead and stand up and realize that if God has spoken something over your life, it doesn't matter who tries to take something away from you. It doesn't matter who says that you are inadequate. It doesn't matter that they've labeled that over you because God says, hold on a second. I I got a plan. There's another move for your life. Others may have tried to take things away from you, but I'm about to open up something unto you. So, here, there's another room. There's another move. I don't know who this is for, but you know there was some sibling rivalry in the the house. And I'm not saying that you're having sibling rivalry with your family, but I I just want to illustrate this. There There was some competition in the house that day. There was some competition where people were competing for a position that was not theirs. 
grab this, competing for a position that was not theirs. Can I tell you something that the spirit of competition will do? Sometimes it will cause you to get in someone else's lane and you'll be running a race that God never asked you to run. Sometimes it will cause you to get in somebody else's lane and you'll have a competition with somebody else that God didn't want you to have a competition with, but rather he wanted you to have a partnership with so that y'all could accomplish something for the cause of Christ. Sometimes it'll cause you to get in, in somebody else's lane and you'll begin to compare your talents to somebody else's talents or you'll compare their talents to your talents. But let me tell you something, God didn't create you that way. The Bible says he has a plan for you. It's a plan to prosper, not to harm you. It's a plan that gives you a hope and a future. And so he said, fill your horn with oil, go. David's not even invited to the party. But David, in the end, he has the servant's heart and God pours an anointing out over him. Listen, I just want to say this. God is about to pour something out over your, your life. Look what he says in verse 12. This is, this is getting good right here. Verse 12. It says, so he sent for him and had him brought in. He was glowing with health and had a fine appearance and was handsome, handsome features. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. I don't know if you're grabbing this. Seven people went ahead of David. Seven people met Samuel before David. Seven people were invited to an interview that David wasn't invited to. Seven people knew about the party that David didn't even know about. Seven people got there before David did. Seven people were there longer than David was. Seven people found out about everything that was going on, and David was aloof to the situation while he was out tending sheep. The point that I am trying to make is it does not matter how many people get to the place that God has designed for you before you get there. It can be seven. It can be 77. But if God has something that's designed specifically for you, it doesn't matter who gets there first. It doesn't matter who interviews for it first. It doesn't matter who knows about it first. It doesn't matter because God's got a plan for you. God's going to turn another move. God's going to make another move for you. There's another move on your behalf that God is about to open up. God's about to show you something. Good God Almighty, everybody get up on your feet for just a minute. I need you to hear this. I'm going to close the same way upstairs that I did the first service. Not necessarily the intended closing, but I think it brings the point home. There is a painting that's in the, the Louvre Museum over in Paris. The name of this painting, if I'm not mistaken, is Checkmate. Let me describe the painting for you for a moment. It is a painting of Satan playing chess against this man. Satan is portrayed in this painting in an exuberant fashion, gloating as if he's won. The man on the other side of the chess board is holding his head in his hands as if he's lost. There was a tour that was taken that day with a group of people. The museum curator was walking these people through, looking at the different pictures and paintings. 
he comes to this painting and he begins to explain that you can see the name of this painting is Checkmate. And as you can see, Satan is gloating and the man is broken. In that particular crowd was a grandmaster chess player who was studying the painting ever so closely. Everyone else left and walked off and went to another painting and another painting and another painting while this man just stood there and was observing this painting. He goes later and he gets the curator and he said, I want to come, I want you to come with me. I want to show you something. He said, what is it you want me to see? He said, I want you to come back with me to the painting. Checkmate. He said, you know that I'm a grandmaster chess player. I'm a world champion. And I want to show you something about this painting. And they get in front of the painting. He said to the curator, I want you to look at this. And the curator's looking at it. The devil gloating, the man broken. He said, one of two things has to happen. You either need to change the name of this painting or you need to change the painting. And the curator said, I don't understand what you're saying. He said, well, as a grand master chess player, what I can tell you as I'm looking at this board is that the king has one more move. What you need to understand is that the king has one more move in your life. You may feel anxiety, but the king has one more move. You may feel insecure, but the king has one more move. Over your marriage, the king has one more move. Over your family, the king has one more move. Over your finances, the king has another move. Over your situation, the king has another move. Somebody look at your neighbor and say, there's another move. Verse 13, and I'm going to close with this. Verse 13, so Samuel took the horn of oil and he anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. Hold on a second, because there's a lot happening in this verse. Really, many times I've preached this verse. I've paid attention to the last part of this verse when it says, and from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. Oh, that's so powerful. But really, it's what's right in between that sticks out to me. So Samuel took the horn of oil and he anointed him in the presence of his brothers. In the presence of his brothers. The ones who felt like he was inadequate, the ones who didn't invite him to the king-choosing party. He anointed him in their presence. When they didn't think he was enough, God... Mm. Somebody say, there's another move. And then my mind began to realize and now fully understand what Psalms 23 says and means. For the Lord prepares for me a table in the presence of my enemies. He anoints my head with oil and he causes my cup to overflow. Do you know what that means? You see, we're always looking for God to help us with our enemies. We are and we think God retribution is yours but can I tell you how God's retribution works God's re retribution is not about bringing your enemy down in front of you God's retribution is about elevating you in front of your enemy good God of my <laughs> ah, yeah he prepares a table
table for me in the presence of my enemies. He anoints my head with oil and he causes my cup to overflow. If you haven't caught it by now, God is looking for those who have a servant heart. And I need somebody to hear this. God has another move for you. But that move comes at the end of your sacrifice. Grab it. God has another move for you. But that move comes at the end of your sacrifice. With every head bowed and every eye closed.